Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast. This is Jason Gewertz, the editor and publisher of Sports Travel. And today's guest is Nicole Pike, the global sector head of esports and gaming for YouGov, an international research firm that's doing some extraordinary work in collecting data points about esports fans. In this episode, we will be looking at some of YouGov's data about the willingness of self-identified esports fans to travel to live events and to spend money when they are traveling. It's new information that should give destinations, venues, and event organizers some optimism as we head out of the pandemic that traveling fans will indeed return when events return as well. But before we begin, a word from the sponsor of this episode, the Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance. Greater Raleigh, North Carolina really misses hosting a wide range of sporting events from basketball championships to esports tournaments and everything in between. As more sports venues like the Raleigh Convention Center make their way back into the game, they're doing everything in their power to protect the health and safety of visiting athletes, coaches, and fans. The welcome mat is out for you to rediscover what makes Greater Raleigh an original. For more information about planning your next sporting event in Raleigh, visit raleighsports.org slash wish or call 800-849-8499. That's 800-849-8499. You can also find them on social media at at Sports. And now, on to the conversation. Nicole Pike has built a name for herself in the world of esports research as one of the top analysts in the field. For 13 years, Pike worked for Nielsen, covering a range of roles in gaming and esports research, leaving in June of 2020 as the managing director for Nielsen Esports Games and Superdata. In June, YouGov hired her by creating a position specifically looking at gaming and esports research. And with the volume of data available from the larger company, Pike can now take some deep dives into what makes esports fans tick. And some of the data that we'll talk about in this conversation may bust some myths about who esports fans are and how willing they are to travel. As a bit of a spoiler, uh, they do indeed want to travel, and they are willing to spend some money when they do. All of that should be music to the ears of destinations and venues that were investing in esports before the pandemic, and it should hold true as we emerge from these past few months and begin charting a course for the return of live events. So with Without further delay, we hope you enjoy this discussion and our look into the latest data driving the esports industry. Nicole Pike, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. We have uh, obviously been focusing on the world of esports uh, in sports travel for for quite a while. We just recently had our esports travel summit, which was a virtual event that we did from Arlington, Texas, just a few weeks back. And one of the things that struck me from that event, which uh, Nicole, you were generous enough to uh, to give us your time and, and share some of your research that we're going to talk about today, was obviously esports has been evolving and things are changing year to year. But what's really interesting thing is we're starting to see some numbers behind what I think to a large extent for destinations has just been anecdotal evidence. They know esports is big. They know it's a thing. And we are starting to see, you know, some data behind it. And, uh, you know, fun fact, I love data. I love this stuff. <laughs> I love uh, you know, research. And uh, the information that we're going to talk about here is uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to, uh, you know, finally get some 
some stuff behind that. So, uh, Nicole, you are with YouGov, and I thought it might be good just to start for those of our audience who aren't familiar with the organization, maybe just some context of uh, what YouGov is, you know, what the organization is, and then, of course, we'll chat about your specific role and and talk about esports. But why don't we, why don't we start off there with uh, just kind of a primer on uh, what your organization is and what you do? Sure, definitely. So, YouGov is an international data and analytics company uh, founded about 20 years ago, initially out of the UK. And um, so, so a lot of people um, over on that side of, pond, of the pond tend to be a bit more familiar with the organization, as well as folks in the political side of things, which is actually um, where the company started is in political polling and trying to kind of look at how do we look at the internet, which back then was a, a fairly novel thing, and the power right. that it has to um, collect data and, and reach people and understand what they're thinking and feeling. Um, and, and what we've been able to do over the past 20 years is expand that well beyond all things politics, though I'm, I'm sure many have heard our name come up in the last couple of months with, with everything related to the election. <laughs> right. But yeah, so now we are you know providing, tracking, collecting data globally across several different sectors. And I, about six months ago, came on to help really build out our, our strategy, our products and our business in the esports and gaming space. Right. That's got to be an exciting opportunity for you. Nicole, what was your, you were with Nielsen uh, before you joined uh, YouGov. You've been in this space specifically at esports for a number of years. Do you recall the moment when you started to realize that this was an industry that you could study and that you could start uh, gleaning some research from? Yeah. So, you know, I started in, well, way back on the kind of brand um, consumer package good side of things and, and then spent about 10 years building out our gaming research business at Nielsen. And it was probably like 2015 um, when we started to just get more questions from our gaming specific clients about all things esports. Um, and it was a little bit of like, do you have data? Do you know? you know, any thoughts on how this is going to evolve. And, and so we just right from the get go started to keep an eye on it, see how things were trending. Um, and, and it just continued to come up both on our video gaming side of the business and, and then more and more on our sports side, as it related to sponsorship. And, and then for me, I think the aha moment where I thought, wow, like this is that this has enough legs and, and is exciting enough that I really need to be a part of it myself was, um, we had a Nielsen box at Madison Square Garden and um, the League of Legends semifinals were, were there um, that particular year. And, and I went and hosted it about there actually for, for some clients and folks on our advisory board. And um, mm -hmm. when, once you're there in one of those big events, like it all clicks. <laughs> Even people who are, are naysayers about, you know, what, what may be happening with esports and, and the growth, like that's, that's the moment where everything aligns and you think, oh, wow, yeah, this, you know, th there's enough passion and and, and enough excitement around this that it is a real thing. And, and then yeah. from there, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, that history is, is interesting. And as I said at the outset, it seems like there's just more and more uh, in the space, kind of at a, at a high level, Nicole, before we talk about, you know, maybe some specifics. Can, uh, can you talk about just uh, where the world of research has gone in esports the last couple of years? I mean, it seems to me that there. It's just a lot more data available, even in the last couple of years, even down to uh, something specific like we're going to talk about, um, you know, travel related uh, information with esports fans. But maybe that's just my impression. Is it is it yours as well that there uh, just seems to be more entry points here for for data and research? 
Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, you know, there was the need for a lot of this data well, as esports was growing five, 10 years ago, kind of depending on the market. And it was one of the things that, you know, I recognized early was a lot of the data coming out uh, about esports in, in the early days was coming from the companies themselves, either the leagues or the publishers who were putting on events. And from, from an external perspective, looking at data and, and investment, it's, it's sometimes hard for folks who are kind of making a bet on, on something that's growing to trust only the data coming from within the industry. So kind of that third party external view was really important. And at that stage, it was very much just who are esports fans and how big is it? Um, so really basic mm-hmm. questions, as well as just kind of educating people on what esports is, period. And and I think what we've seen as the uh, profile of esports has grown and as um, the overall industry has continued to evolve, there has been more data coming in and demand for more data at a much more nuanced level. So not just looking at esports fans at, at a broad level, just as you wouldn't just look at sports fans if you were trying to decide where to um, sponsor in, in sports. So kind of getting at that really nuanced level, as well as much more global data, um, I think are two things that we've really seen happening in, in esports data. And then the third, which I think links in really well to you know what, what we're here and talking about today is data on what esports fans do outside of esports. So you know there, there was a lot of data around gaming and, and esports engagement, but not necessarily like who else are these people and what are they doing in their free time? And, and I think that's where we're really starting to round things out and what I've been excited about in terms of what we have at our disposal at UGov and, and building that profile out. Yeah, and it's an important point. I mean, you, your current work involves both what we would call gaming and esports, and and we're talking mostly today about esports and and the concept of of live events in better times, but you know, uh, some sort of event structure as well. I mean, gaming is a whole other world that we could, of course, spend hours and hours on. I've got a 10-year-old son myself. We have a Nintendo Switch console as nice. a console of choice. Uh, so we live and breathe it every day around here. But, uh, you know, we've uh, esports is a thing as well. We've uh, I've taken him to, uh, you know, Rocket League uh, World Championships, uh, you cool. know, in an NBA arena. We've been to as many of those as we have, uh, you know, traditional sports events yeah. uh, in, the, in the last couple of years. So so all of that is real. But um, one of the, let's start here, maybe, uh, Nicole, because there's, there's been quite a bit of talk uh, just you know this ridiculous year that we're living through in, in 2020 that's coming to a close as we're having this conversation everyone of course uh, retreated back to uh, to their houses or for the world of esports retreated back to you know a, a studio or virtual environment after so much progress uh, had been made you know on live events and and even in the franchise model you know events going to cities mm-hmm. uh, that kind of thing but um, why don't we start here there's been so much discussion about uh, just the numbers uh, that we've seen of people being engaged in esports maybe uh, discovering it for the first time um, as they've been home and unavailable to travel places. Is there something to that from what you've seen? I mean, do the studies show or the research show that that uh, the engagement level, at least online for the moment, has increased during the course of this year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I think a couple of things and probably, candidly, the bigger impact in terms of huge shifts of, of people changing their behavior and trying new things has been more on the the gaming and or game streaming side of things. Um, mm-hmm. So a lot more people kind of accessing that, that very available content and or going back to playing games when you know they're stuck at home and have nothing else uh, to do. And, and we <laughs> think a lot of that behavior will actually 
continue. And, and if nothing else, it maybe just accelerated what was already a trend that was happening. Um, but on the esports specific side, we have, have definitely seen an impact looking at the overall awareness levels of, of esports in the US, for example. And so it's funny that the majority of the US population still cannot correctly identify what esports is or means. So we all think of this very much as, you know, a, a business that's growing and it absolutely is. But there's still a lot of upside. And, and one of the things in particular we saw um, during COVID and, and obviously, you know, now it's continued to the trend is just overall more recognition of esports and it being on more people's radars. So I think in the US, for example, awareness went from 26% of the adult population knowing what esports is in March to now closer to 34%. Um, so in a relatively short time, an increase. And, and we've also seen to a slightly lesser extent, increase in the overall engagement in esports. And so I think COVID has definitely given exposure, especially through a lot of the traditional sports that ended up putting on virtual events and, and if nothing else that kind of, you know, opened people's minds and, and eyes up to the idea that virtual competition is a thing, whether we want to classify those as esports or virtual sports or whatever you want to call them. Right. I, I think just that form of entertainment, watching people play games um, is on many more people's radars and, and more people in turn engaged with that content in the last several months. Yeah, that's been fascinating for us to watch as well. I mean, you think of uh, an organization like NASCAR, you know, for instance, that was able to pivot fairly quickly uh, at the start of the pandemic to a, you know, a virtual component of their of their product and and put it on television and, you know, at the outset their ratings were actually pretty strong compared to their traditional races. Exactly. Uh, it's unbelievable. You know, one of the other things, of course, that uh, that uh, I want to chat with you about is you know, this notion, and I think uh, destinations struggle with this, venues are struggling with this as the industry is emerging and, and uh, evolving. Uh, there's always been this question of whether esports as an event will attract visitors to come as they would maybe, you know, for a, for a traditional sports tournament or or for a particular game that's you know worthy of, of traveling to in traditional sports uh there's always been kind of this question mark of will people come are are people spending the night or are, are people uh, esports fans are they willing to travel and i know you have some data now that is uh, finally putting some numbers behind these kinds of things as far as the willingness of esports fans uh, to travel so i want to uh, transition nicole a bit into that sure. uh, to talk about kind of um, and I imagine this is difficult for any uh, genre of sports to say, you know, this is the typical fan. Mm -hmm. um, and esports is no different, of course, uh, than that as, as we look at this by age, by demographic, by all of it. But uh, let's talk a bit about, you know, what evidence we have out there about who uh, esports fans are and how willing they are to travel, you know, compared to, say, the, you know, the typical general public. So why don't we start there and talk about some of the data that I know you have revolving that issue and, and this willingness of esports sports fans to actually travel somewhere. Sure, absolutely. And I, I think a good place to start in kind of properly framing some of that data is in just the, the composition of who esports fans are. So um, the, you know, the average esports fan is quite young. And the US, we're talking, you know, about 60% plus being under the age of 34. And that's just among an adult population. And, and we know there are you know, a lot of teens engaged in esports as well. Um, yeah. So 
overall, I think a lot of the the trends we see and in, in the data we see around esports fans and their travel preferences and or experience um, at, at least um, somewhat directly relates to kind of that life stage that they're in. But I think that actually represents a, a really great opportunity um, from that standpoint. The, the other thing that we consistently see about esports fans, which is also really positive for the travel industry, is that um, they tend to have an above average income. So and, and we don't necessarily see that with a broader gaming audience when we look at kind of overall gamers or PC console gamers in the US. So esports tends to attract a um, slightly better off demographic, which obviously in terms of travel, especially travel for leisure purposes, um, is a, a really positive thing for the industry. So so kind of with all that combined, we have, have some great data to show that esports fans overall propensity to and, and passion about travel is actually quite high. Um, so for example, 70% of esports fans um, that we've surveyed agree that they're passionate about traveling versus only 50% in the US. So mm-hmm. traveling is definitely something that is kind of inherent to what they like, which I think is, is something that's important. I think esports fans have have kind of very squarely been put in a stereotype of they like to stay home and just play games and watch right. games and all of this. And it, it's not actually um, the case. They're a, a small segment of their overall gaming population. And we also, and we actually see a lot of data that shows that they, they are social. They like to connect with others, um, get out and about. And, and part of that is travel. Yeah. Is, is that a, when, as a researcher, Nicole, when you see a difference, as you just said, I mean, a 70% number who say they're passionate about traveling compared to uh, the general population of 50%, is that 20 points there a, a, a significant number to you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially we we leverage our YouGov panels for all this data and we have really strong panel sizes. So we're talking about 20% difference when we're talking about thousands and thousands of people is absolutely um, a, a big difference. I would say anything kind of, you know, five to 10% would be a directional, you know, a directional difference, but that 20% gap is, is really substantial. Yeah. You touched on it before as far as uh, incomes, but I know you've got data that also shows not only are esports fans willing to, to travel, but they're also, they seem interested in, in spending some of that money when they travel. Yeah, I thought we have one kind of attitudinal statement in particular that I think is really interesting. Um, and, and maybe that's partially because in our own home, it, it definitely applies. So based as of one, um, this rings true, but we asked, um, you know, how, how much people agree with the statement, I'm excited to generally spend more when traveling. So not only thinking about travel as, you know, an escape and an, an opportunity to get away, but also kind of an opportunity to indulge and, and to treat yourself. And when we look at esports fans' response to that, actually a 23% difference versus the general population. So 66% of esports fans um, agree that they what, that are excited to spend more while traveling compared to only 43% of the general population. Um, and then when we look at, you know, what they claim they've actually spent, that data um, follows very closely. So um, esports fans tend to be more likely to spend a higher amount uh, or to have spent a higher amount on their last leisure trip than the general population and are also more likely to book luxury accommodations, which I think is interesting too, and just kind of mm-hmm. ties back to that, you know, treat yourself type of occasion. Yeah, that that is interesting. And I don't fault you for having a panel of one. I think that's pretty much how we do all of our 
research <laughs> around here in our household as well. You have to start somewhere, exactly. Uh, I guess, but uh, yeah, I, I I thought that was interesting. And you know, Nicole, you've even got data I know that talks about uh, you know the types of activities that an esports fan likes to do, which is interesting as we you know as we talk about getting back to live events. Obviously, not every event is going to be the size and scope of the League of Legends World Championships, but there are are plenty of esports events out there that are starting to expand their footprint. They're existing over a weekend. They're looking at ancillary events and, and things that might attract visitors to them. I know destinations are interested in that as well. So what are some of the things that you've found that esports fans uh, or those who identify themselves as esports fans are interested in doing when they're when they're traveling to some of these destinations? Yeah, so at kind of an overall level, a, a lot of the things that esports fans like are similar to what a broader population would like. So beach vacations, mountains, sightseeing, you know, all activities or traits of a, a place that they like. But I think one thing that's really interesting, and I think especially as we just start to think about domestic esports events and, and some of the leagues like an Overwatch League or Call of Duty League who are, you know, have kind of regional leagues within the league. And once things get back to normal with travel and, and sport and live events, we'll be hosting um, events, you know, each weekend at, at their home venues. Uh, we see that Esports fans are much more likely to take trips that they would consider city breaks. So that's kind of like your long weekend, either driving or a short flight um, to another city for a few days. Um, so, so that's definitely something that they're more likely to do. And I think that kind of also links to the lifestyle and, and the fact that it's easy for them to just get away for a few days um, and, and not make a big to do about it. But I think, you know, that that fits perfectly with the format a lot of, of a lot of these esports events that we see, um, especially those that have been hosted in the States. And then we've also seen that um, esports fans are more likely to take trips associated with like activities or, or sports. So um, obviously sending that to, to esports, it's kind of that event-based travel um, that, that they do have a higher propensity for. So really good news for the esports industry in that sense. Before we continue, here's another word from our sponsor, the Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance. Greater Raleigh, North Carolina really misses hosting a wide range of sporting events from basketball championships to esports tournaments and everything in between. As more sports venues like the Raleigh Convention Center make their way back into the game, they're doing everything in their power to protect the health and safety of visiting athletes, coaches, and fans. The welcome mat is out for you to rediscover what makes Greater Raleigh an original. For more information about planning your next sporting event in Raleigh, visit raleighsports.org wish or call 800-849-8499. You can also find them on social media at at Sports. And now, back to the episode. One of the things I thought was interesting in your research, they uh, esports fans, maybe more than you would imagine, um, actually prefer doing outdoor events. You kind of touched on it a little bit there as well. There's a certain irony there, of course, because esports by their nature, very uh, unlikely, or there have been very uh, you know few instances of large-scale outdoor <laughs> esports competitions, although that's happened. Yeah. And we uh, no doubt we'll see more of that uh, down the road, um, maybe as weatherproofing and uh, water-resistant technology <laughs> improves on some of the equipment. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, when they're outside of the competition, you know, your research is showing that esports fans actually do enjoy being outdoors and and getting out to see things. Yeah, exactly. And, and we see there's definitely kind of a sub-segment of the esports overall. Um 
fan base that is really passionate about music. And, and so we also see things like a higher propensity to uh, attend music festivals and, and things like that. And so I think that kind of like outdoor event piece ties into that really well. And it and is something that, you know, as I've attended several esports events over the, the, the past several years of being in the industry, I think it, it's really versus a lot of other um, traditional sport or even just kind of larger entertainment events. Uh, I think the industry can really work on providing a broader experience beyond just the actual gameplay in a stadium or an arena for fans. And, and you see, you know, ESL and DreamHack have, have really been a gold standard in doing this, especially for a lot of their major events over the past several years, where it does have more of a festival or kind of weekend event feel. And I think, you know, our data would suggest that fans aren't just necessarily looking to go sit inside and, and walk out. They want to spend the weekend doing things in and around the venue. Um, and, and they are open to and are more likely to enjoy things like socializing outdoors and, and things like that. So I hope that's something the industry, once things get back to, to a point where we are handling and, and holding live events, will really embrace and start to think about more is like, how do we keep people um, in and around the, the event and with others in their community that they've traveled to see and meet um, on top of just the gameplay? Right. And I, well, I think there's some good news for, uh, for markets out there specifically that, uh, obviously lend themselves well to outdoor events. I know your research goes into, you know, asking esports fans just what are destinations that they would consider visiting. And, uh, you know, it's a little surprise because it mirrors the general population to some extent, but places like California and Hawaii and, and Florida are pretty high on the list, uh, it seems for esports fans. Yeah, exactly. I think we see a lot of that kind of coastal um, tendency. But interestingly, uh, both California and Hawaii are right ahead of Florida, which among a broader population in the U.S., um, Florida is, is usually kind of that top spot. So there is a little bit more of a lean toward that West Coast, um, which aligns with you know, that, that outdoor aspect of things, aligns with where there is a lot of activity from an esports um, kind of team presence perspective. Um, mm -hmm. So, so yeah, I think that's interesting. And, and then um, also Vancouver and Mexico. So basically, if there could be some sort of kind of jog across <laughs> that Western uh, North America right. coast, that would be a, a perfect setup for an esports fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, and I think what's going to be interesting, too, uh, as, as you know, you know, some of the biggest venue development right now is actually in the middle of the country. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had our event virtually from Arlington, Texas, uh, places like South Bend, Indiana are investing, you know, all across the, the East Coast as well. You know, there there is, as you know, quite a bit of investment right now in infrastructure uh, for places to hold these events. I think yeah. that's going to be interesting to see as some of these venues come online and maybe become destinations in themselves, you know, for esports fans who want to go see uh, an event at uh, a particular venue or arena that uh, that may be popping up here in years to come. Yeah, I think so too. And I think kind of some of the, the consumer response around that side of things is a bit chicken in the egg where for the most part, a, a lot of the events for esports that have actually been held live and in person are these bigger events and bigger venues. And they do tend to be kind of on either of the coasts. But I think what, what we'll start to see again with some of the leagues changing to more of a home and away and a regional format, but as well as kind of kind of some of these mid or small tier um, venues being built or equipped for esports is that you'll start to just see an increase in the number of events that otherwise would have just been held online or in a central 
location land center or something and may not have had a big consumer or fan element to it, those will start to more and more become events. And they may be smaller scale, but they're going to be perfect for that kind of city getaway um, occasion that I mentioned, where it's it's not just people on either coast that can do that city getaway, but it's people all over the world who can, or I'm sorry, all over the market country that can do that. Um, and, and, you know, still has something that's accessible and entertaining to them, but not have to plan a big trip out of it. And, and I think kind of, you know, thinking about when we initially come out of some of the, you know, some of the effects of COVID, I think that is going to be really important. I know um, we have a, a, a new product that recently launched here at YouGov called Global Travel Profiles. And I was kind of peeking around in that um, ahead of this conversation to, to see what some of the trends around COVID-related travel are. And, and people are certainly still concerned about getting in planes. So, um, and especially among kind of like the, the Gen Zers, we see that by and far, they are still most likely to, even once COVID is over initially, travel by car. So I think some of these kind of middle of the country um, destinations and, and arenas for esports will be great at satisfying that need and, and some of the hesitance that we may see um, even when you know, a higher population of or a percent of the population is vaccinated and that sort of thing. Yeah, that was actually one of the questions I wanted to ask you, Nicole, is we've got uh, obviously quite a number of destinations and cities out there that are considering uh, some of these investments, whether it's a you know a, a whole build of, a, of an arena or maybe retrofitting existing venues that they have, uh, you know, in the thoughts and hopes that there will be uh, events to come back. But based on at least historically what you've seen, uh, you know, the trends of, of esports in general, uh, is it a good investment? I mean, do you get the, the sense that there will be the need for more of these venues, um, you know, throughout the country uh, to accommodate esports events once we really get back online here? I mean, will, will the audience be there? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly think versus where we are today, and, and even pre COVID, so pre COVID today, um, that that there definitely will be an increase um, in, in the need and the demand, I think, where, you know, from my personal view on things standpoint, and just looking at the number of events that can happen, especially at, at more of a local level and, and what types of audiences they would draw. I think where the, the need is strongest and where I kind of, as, as I talk with folks, um, really emphasize the importance is looking at venues, like portions of venues that can easily become or, or have um, a part of it be esports event enabled. Um, because when you think about kind of the when you get into the details of the tech and the setup that's involved to be able to host some of these events, it's quite substantial. But I'm also not sure that every city around the country, there's ever going to be enough events at at a local level where you could have, you know, so many different dedicated spots. So I think kind of, you know, equipping venues for the ability to host is is really that sweet spot where um, will it'll end up, you know, being sustainable from a financial standpoint and from an event standpoint. Yeah, and and you touched on it a bit uh, before, Nicole. But maybe this would be a good place as we as we end our our time here uh, for a look ahead. Of course, the big question across the events industry and across sports events and and esports to a to a large extent as well, because they have uh, had to shut down like everyone else here for the most part the last few months. Is are people going to come back? I mean, uh, will the events be coming back? And when they do, are look, I'm talking esports specifically. Uh, are these fans going to be willing and and able to get back to? 
live events. Uh, you know, at the highest level, we started to see these city-based franchise, you know, hosting events in market. Of course, they had to uh, sort of retreat, as we talked about, virtually. Uh, but they're they're going to be coming back. I guess the, the question is, will will the audience be ready for it as well? And and based on what you're seeing in your research, Nicole, do you, do you think that's the case? Will people be ready to come back to live events in esports? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I certainly think there will continue to be some hesitation, but I, I think there's a couple of things that um, are, are really optimistic. So one is just kind of looking at Gen Zers and millennials and, and all of the data that we have in the um, global travel profiles tool around what their intentions are for, for going back to events. And, and they consistently across the world, not just the U.S., are more likely to be willing to um, get back into travel, get back into live events, that sort of thing. Um, and, and so I think, especially kind of thinking about the average size of esports event venues and, and that sort of thing, it's not like for the most part, there's a need to fill a 20,000 person stadium, right? So right. I think the, um, the, the industry is scaled well for a return that that is reasonable. Um, I also think there's a lot of pent up demand just because we were so close to getting these home and away um, kind of mm-hmm. you know, home stands and in some of these bigger leagues that I think people were so excited about that and so so they're you know certainly looking for the opportunity to get back into that. But I think the where logistically um, esports in in a way may even have a bit more of a challenge of getting back to hosting live events, especially from a league standpoint, just because of how global it is and how even if it's a North American based league, there are people, you know, on esports rosters of teams that are based here in the U.S. that are from all over the world. And when you start to think about either teams from one country playing another country or even just, you know, getting the right visas and permissions and things for people to all be in one country to play, that's where the international aspect of esports actually creates some logistical challenges. And and so I think we're probably going to see um, for, for some leagues that that they stay um, a bit more virtual longer just to ensure that that they do it right and to make sure that you know the the season doesn't become interrupted and that when they're back they're back for good so um, that's something i'll definitely be looking for and, and i'm sure you know over the next several months we'll see some announcements with most of the big leagues starting in january and february yeah, well, the great news about research is it's never ending, and uh, <laughs> you can you can keep going as deep as you like for as, as long as as you prefer on the uh, on data points. And uh, as we've talked about, the there are just appear to be more and more of these data points, including you know research that will be relevant for our side of the industry and, and travel and hospitality. And so, uh, Nicole uh, would love to stay in touch with you. And I have a feeling if we had this conversation uh, six months or even a year from now, you know some of these numbers may look different uh, <laughs> as well, just by nature of uh, of what it is but you know appreciate your time in uh walking through some of your research and of course would love to stay in touch as uh, as all of this continues to evolve and uh and the industry continues to grow yeah absolutely it was great to be able to share some of what we're seeing and we are continuing to track things as as the saga of covid continues so happy to check back in at any time to see where we stand <laughs> excellent thanks so much for your time nicole appreciate it yeah thank you for having me 
This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. If you found this conversation interesting, you'll want to be with us at the 2021 Esports Travel Summit, which will take place August 10th through 12th, 2021 at the David L. Lawrence Convention Center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. More information on that event can be found at esportstravelsummit.com. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com, which also features breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports event industry. Be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com, at sportstravel on Twitter and Instagram, and at sportstravelmagazine on Facebook and LinkedIn. Until then, this is Jason Gowers for Sports Travel, and thanks for listening.